0: back to the Artverse Commerce podcast. This week is with multimedia director for the ACLU, Molly Kaplan. I have uh, known Molly f- and have been working with her for about two years now. We had the awesome opportunity to do a a big project for them, part of their Know Your Rights campaign, and specifically this video was about uh, knowing your rights when dealing with police encounters. That came out last Friday, which is why uh, this week uh, we are releasing this episode. Her and I recorded this shortly after the election, so that was sometime in November. If there's ever a moment that anything in our conversation has a slight datedness to it, that's why. It was a great conversation. It was out of time, obviously. We're still dealing every day with the ramifications of the election. It's something that this isn't a political podcast, but obviously we are all dealing with the ground level effects of any of the policies that they're doing and how it's affecting ourselves or our friends, our family. And so I think it is something where if you are in the media, you do have the power of the camera. It is the, it is the biggest megaphone in the land. It's something where if you have an opportunity to use it and you can put it towards good, that's a great way to feel as if you are being a part of any sort of change that you might want to um, impact. Personally, when I'm thinking about how I can help, you know, there's, it can get overwhelming. There's so many things that you can list off that need to be done. When it comes to what I can do, my expertise is in film. And so I would want to put my, put my time and effort in the, in that way. And so I hope that maybe um, having that discussion can embolden people listening to uh, do the same. If you haven't already, I've been seeing so many posts from a lot of the community that I know I'm a part of, that I know maybe listens to this. And it's it's great seeing everybody already putting out work that is a part of the, the message that we need to be sending, either to make people feel more comfortable or to actually help impact policies that are changing or that we are trying to have not change. In terms of the ACLU, it's been an unbelievable journey watching their relevancy in America shift in the last year obviously their relevancy on the ground politically and 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 with policy has been unwavering for almost a century, but they are now in the public eye in a way that they haven't been in quite some time, and it's amazing to um, to be helping on a project like that. So before you check out this episode, if you can quick Google of Know Your Rights, will pop up this video that we did, and, and that might give you some context for the latter half of the episode where Molly and I talk about the experience of making that together. But otherwise, just talking about Molly, I think in terms of her story You know, right now she has a job that I think a lot of people in media want. She is orchestrating the media landscape of the ACLU, and that's amazing. And I think that it's in such good hands with her. She's brilliant and and kind-hearted, so open-minded and an artist and smart it's interesting that her journey to, to get there was one of totally following your nose and following your passion. And it had absolutely nothing to do with anything the ACLU did for a long, for a while. I think hearing that is really helpful because I think something that I get a lot too from people is, oh, well, you were lucky because you knew what you, were, what you wanted to do from the beginning. And I don't necessarily think that that's an accurate statement. I think it's more about whatever it is in any moment Going for it. And by going fully and not holding back, you learn, and then you know what you need to do the next time, how you're going to evolve. If you don't let yourself fully get into something, you can't properly evolve. That definitely, I think, sums up how Molly got to where she is now. Obviously, we talk about I think it's pretty unique to have um, a client on directly and us talking about the relationship that we have her and I at this point are good friends and our ability to talk about our working relationship is super cool. And I think it's helpful to be able to have that type of dialogue. And I think it was special that we were able to have that be a part of the episode. So yeah, in terms of some, some housekeeping, if you can like and comment on iTunes, that would um, help spread the word of the show and help uh, gain some eyeballs or earballs, And so that would be great on social media. We are uh, at AVC pod. That is a good way to find us on any social media platform. And lastly, if you'd like to reach out to the show, you can contact the show's producer, Courtney Ryan. She is uh, Courtney at avcpod.com is her email. So again, uh, so thrilled to have Molly on. This one has been waiting for the moment that uh, this video was released, so I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that we can finally put this episode out there. So as always, thank you for being here.
1: I went to college for history. I wanted to um, study everything about Japan. I just wanted to know and i don't know why but i had this this connection to japan since i was little and i thought i might have been japanese but (laughs) mistakenly assigned to a new york family um and so i got to college and i studied japanese and i studied east asian studies and then i went to japan and i had this vision i don't even know why i thought this that it would be you know this kind of all rock gardens and zen and like this kind of essence like it would be a
0: stereotypical view of japan
1: I guess so, except I thought that there would be – everything would be kind of reduced, like Sumi painting, like to the fine lines, and that there would be this understanding about like rice is a complex thing even as the most simple elemental thing, and like so many pieces of the culture – in Japan is about elemental. It's about getting things reduced to like the most elemental levels. And as a kid, I just thought that was incredibly appealing. And then I went to Japan, so I thought I was going to study there. And I went to like go research a little bit about the schools. And I had a friend whose mom lived there. So we stayed with the friend's mom. And then I discovered that like Japan was such a disappointment. The schooling, like the teachers just talk at you and you're not allowed to ask questions. And I'd grown up in this like hippy dippy school with no walls. And I was like, I want to ask questions.
0: How old were you when you did that?
1: 21. I just turned 21. On. And so I did exactly the opposite. I instead studied, went to Oxford and studied English history and did the most like Anglo-Saxon thing you could possibly do.
0: So you had a complete turn from wanting to study Japanese history studies without yeah, any language, everything. And without, did you, with what goal in mind? I went
1: to liberal arts school. We, we weren't told to have goals. Um <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And I then, think I think I was trying to figure it out. Like yeah, I, I, sure. You know, leading okay. up to college. So it just it,
0: wasn't so known.
1: It wasn't known. And leading up to college, I had done all the things I was supposed to do, like ran the newspaper and did all this stuff. And I got to college and I was like, I don't know what the heck I like.
0: Um, and oh, so you were running the newspaper, but you, that didn't mean necessarily that you were like super interested in journalism?
1: I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do to get into college. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't think I asked myself what it is I actually wanted to do. Um, even though in retrospect, that probably would have been be a more interesting candidate. I just did all the things that were the checklist of things you do to get into a good school. Yeah. Um. No, and so when went to college, that. I said, like, screw it to everything, and I was just gonna explore.
0: And then, I mean, and then you go to Oxford for English studies with what goal or not a goal?
1: You know, at the time I just thought like I'm here, it was still undergrad and I thought um, I'm here to be, to get the foundation that will build out whatever it is I do. So, right. you know, n- reading Virgil and Milton and, and the greats, like that will, that will be the, the foundation of whatever I do. I mean, I, I think. No, it's-, it's
0: a, it's a, that's a solid thought process at, at some point throughout, did things start to become clear in terms of where you wanted to go afterwards?
1: Uh, Well, I started to get really interested in food, like obsessively interested in food, like everything I did was around food. So I was doing a history major, but like everything I did around my history major was around food. Like I did a paper about um, restoration era cookbooks and like, you know, the sedition planted inside cookbooks. And and that became the passion that I walked away with at the end of it all was was, um, food. And I think, uh, you know, especially in academia, like I realized that what I really loved was like sen- like senses, the senses, and that's so not automatically a part of academia. Mm. And that's why I, you know, I applied for this like weird ass grant so that I could study olives for a year. and Olives? I- olives, yeah. Um, I got
0: this. where did you study olives?
1: I stayed olives in North Africa and uh, France, Spain, and Italy. So the-, the stipulation of the grant. You went there. Went there, yeah, lived there. Stipulation of the grant. It was a pretty loosey-goosey grant, except that, um you they took the money away if you came back before 365 days you had to be outside of the country for 365 days you couldn't and you had to be by yourself
0: that's an awesome stipulation i thought so that's amazing yeah while you're going through your your year with olives and i guess realizing how much food matters to you like what what did you think that was going to lead to And at any point was like creative arts and video film. Was any of this even in the realm or no?
1: You know, it's one of those things where in hindsight, it was always there, but Mm. I didn't realize it was there. In what ways? Well, I part of the grant was that I would do bookmaking. So I studied bookmaking as well. That was still on the track of like the East Asian studies. So I I learned like binding for Chinese, like Chinese, classic Chinese binding. And then I learned Western binding. And, and then I was going to take my photography and make it into these books, into these like hand-bound books. Okay. Um, but while I was there, what ended up happening was, you know... Where? it is In, in Oxford? It, no. Well, while I was on the Olive trip. Yeah. Is that so rarely you know, ever do you get this expanse of time where you are completely, so really, do you get this expanse of time where you are completely alone, mm-hmm. especially that young, um, for an entire year? I didn't see anybody who I had known before this trip, I think what came out was the true value of beauty. And I know that sounds hokey, but... What, almost, what do you mean by it? Well, so I, I remember being in, like, northern Italy, and I was sitting on some rocks and um, just taking in the scene and, and actually, like, experiencing the effect of the scene, of this beautiful, beautiful scene on my brain. Like, I could feel, like, this calming and that something, like spiritual was happening like there was sure. like a deeper heart connection that was happening through uh. the experience of this beauty and also like I I did a lot of writing while I was there and understanding what the value of art is so art to me became like that my definition of art was formed while on this trip because
0: even art, though it was for food
1: even well food is art yeah no i mean it's totally. all it's all about synthesis mm. and transformation and and the whole you know the the premise of the whole trip was understanding um, the transformation of the olive into all the things it becomes, right? Um, and I think that that osmosis is 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 all what art is. Like how you take your, you know, and actually, like the olive. I didn't realize this when I went in, and luckily, none of the people who gave me the money. But the olive season is like a month long, and I had twelve months, so. I did some olive research and then i did a lot of going to museums and l- things that had nothing to do with the olive
0: sounds like an amazing year of <laughs> just doing whatever you wanted around the globe yeah i like when i stayed
1: in paris for two months and i totally uh, validated there, it by you just saying, needed to
0: write a paper like how? yeah i had
1: to send like five letters home and then write a paper when i got back
0: oh my god <laughs>
1: I mean, it was twenty-two thousand dollars, and you had to figure out how to live off of twenty-two thousand dollars.
0: Twenty-two, yeah, for the year, for the year, inclusive of all your traveling everything. expenses, everything,
1: everything covered in twenty-two thousand.
0: Inter- well, you're certainly learning a lot of life lessons. I mean, right? it, like totally a valuable year. It's just funny that it came down to writing a paper about olives. Yeah, but it is. There funny. was so much more that you were was, lo- experiencing there was a and lot learning. more going on. Yeah, well, then when you get out, I know. What did you initially then like? Oh, Head I towards- wanted to work
1: in restaurants. I wanted to, I I knew that I wanted to do journalism eventually, but the food thing was the first thing because I hated the combination of journalism and food. I always thought it was kind of like Sunsets and M.F.K. Fisher. And like, I just didn't, I thought it was glorified food and I had no interest in that. I wanted to like get my hands dirty and, and roll up my sleeves. So I applied to every restaurant job I could, Find um, and nobody would hire me. And I, of course, thought I was like the hottest shit in town because I was applying to be a waitress and, you know, I'd just stayed at Olive's for a year and I'd had all this, you know, culture experience and nobody wanted me because I had no experience. Um, actually serving which is all they cared about yeah so i think i've told him this now the the place that finally hired me i figured out that i needed some experience so i totally shaped my resume from the olives into like yeah i totally staged at this restaurant which i had never staged i just ate there it was like the biggest it was like doogie hauser like having one drink and getting pulled over um because the place that i said i had staged at like you know, kind of work behind the scenes at. Yeah. I told the chef and he was so excited because he knew the restaurant and he knew the people who owned it. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, Marco, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really, really? The one time <laughs> I've ever fibbed to get a job and the guy knows this random ass restaurant How'd in Florence. turn out? Oh, I got hired anyway. And I just sweated my way through it and um, it ended up being the start of, you know, a whole career.
0: Wow. OK, so it didn't backfire.
1: It didn't backfire. and And a year later, I told him.
0: And it was funny at that point.
1: Yeah, he liked me by then. Okay. He liked me, he said, because um, I was the only one who he couldn't make cry. Wow.
0: <laughs> Tough as nails, Molly.
1: Not really. I just don't know. I he just, he just couldn't make me cry. It wasn't that nobody could. Oh, all
0: right. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting reason for liking an employee. Yeah, it's the restaurant world. Yeah, I guess that is true. I mean, so as you were going through that year you were just enjoying being in the restaurant world and like where did you think that all of this was going to lead
1: um were you growing within it all i can hear is my father being like you need a five-year plan you need a five-year plan and i think i was still and i guess uh, i'm not alone in this as a generational thing and like I'm still figuring it out, you know? Like, I, mm-hmm. I haven't found it yet. And so I worked every job in that restaurant. I, I worked as a line cook in pastry. I worked as the co-check. I worked as a back waiter, which, P.S., if you've ever had a job where you were invisible, I think it's one of the most valuable experiences you could possibly have for an extended period of time. Like, people do it for the summer, but to be, like, a ba- a busboy, essentially, yeah. for an extended period of time, I was literally invisible. Nobody, like, people acted like I didn't exist. It, it was really... Really interesting. Probably good preparation for being in the dock world oh. as being a fly on the wall, well, listening okay. to conversations and dynamics, and All right. taking it in without being watched.
0: I could see that. But
1: yeah, well, so then, so then I went on to manage at Gramercy Tavern. You know, this was like the pinnacle. Like Gramercy is, um, yeah. in terms of people and the caliber of what's going on, like as good as it gets.
0: And when you were doing that, I mean, were you? on this trajectory that I'm going to be in food and I'm just doing like exactly what I want to be doing without any thought. No, that was that- the
1: weird thing. I was like going to class, night class, night school for journalism and I knew that you this were. wasn't it. Like I knew, but I was really happy in the moment and I...
0: It's interesting because like anybody else that wants to be in that world would be thrilled about it, but you were doing night classes with... Jour- when did the journalism idea start coming it back It was in? always
1: there. Yeah. I always knew I wanted to do something in communications, but I want... The food thing it was just stronger and pulled me first and... I guess it was like a weird thing where I was really happy in exactly where I was, but also always knew that this wasn't my final rest point. Like
0: I like this because I feel like a lot of people they're constantly. I know that I get asked the question a lot. Yeah, but you always knew what you wanted to do, and so like that. Like I, I don't, and therefore that's why things. It's like actually, you know, I don't think it's really that it's more that like the willingness to go and try things and let that guide where the next thing is because it, it's not an this idea that i've always known exactly that what i'm doing right now is what i've always wanted to be doing it's fun hearing that that i mean you were just following your nose
1: yeah i was following my nose and i mean that has some drawbacks
0: sure um it's not perfect. <laughs>
1: Some financial drawbacks. I, you know, like Such my four hundred one k is.
0: Oh, I see what you mean. Not,
1: not so great at this point, point. and um, you know, so you pay a price for that kind of living.
0: But yeah, and then, at the time, though, in terms of like the jobs that you had, you were supporting yourself with. with that. Oh, yeah, totally. And like the night school, like that was just not, yeah, it was not just on hard. the
1: side, and 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 you know, the food thing for me was the the thing that broke it for me, or or made me finally break off with doing that was I just wanted to feel like I was contributing everything I could. At the end of the day, I was like, I'm just providing like a theater experience with the
0: food. And and you know, I, I worked in You cheese. mean like contributing to society? Yeah, like I wanted my
1: contribution. Like, I think there is something to be said for creating a beautiful experience for people in, in a dining setting and giving them an escape. Because you walk out of Seed, the best case scenario, and I still go there and I still have this experience where like, uh, you have like this glow this warm feeling like
0: oh sure no a ah, great dining experience is um, always a it's yeah. wonderful and
1: i tried to work with I, I was in charge of the cheese program and i tried to um work with local producers and really really played to supporting local cheese makers and like in that respect like agriculturally trying to be on the right side of that but at the end of the day i walked home and i just felt like oh this isn't enough i want to be doing more or or more than that all whatever i'm on this planet to do i want to make sure that i'm embodying like the whatever skill set I have that I'm using, honing that skill set for the greatest good. And nothing I did the restaurant business did I ever feel like I'm the best there is at this, or, you know, like this is the the, the culmination of all my skills on earth into the, making the world a better place. And so
0: even though you're, I mean, it's interesting, like you could just spending your time in the cheese program for someone who loves food. I mean, I could see that it was it could be so much fun, oh, but it, it but there was and you're saying that there is that it was so super fun, but there was a lacking of fulfillment, purpose, the, purpose. Like,
1: I think it was a purpose thing. Plus, I the next step after what I was doing then was to own my own restaurant, and I had less than no interest in that. Um, you saw
0: that as like an inevitability in terms of yes, growth in that sector.
1: Yeah, if you, the next step after managing at a place like Gramercy is to be a GM, a general manager, or to own your own place, and I just had no interest in that life. Yeah, um, and then I went to grad school
0: because you were doing the nights, the night school stuff. but That wasn't grad school.
1: Mm-mm. Night school was just like I'd sign up for some continuing ed classes in journalism. Um, on and the side, while you
0: were doing that, I mean, what did you? What were you feeling when you were in those classes? Like, is that that you you felt the purpose there?
1: Not yet, not yet. I didn't feel the purpose. I, it wasn't until grad school. And
0: but I but you felt enough of a pull to make the move for yes. grad school.
1: I felt enough of the pull. I you know honestly I probably couldn't invest as much as I needed to to really fill the pull, um in the continued ed because I was exhausted by the time that those classes came around and yeah I mean um,
0: it's not as if you know managing Gramercy Tavern is an easy job.
1: Yeah it was it was it was very tiring and yeah it wasn't until I went to grad school that the other things came into focus. How old were you when that happened? <laughs> I was so old. I was twenty eight.
0: When you decided to go to grad school. Yeah. Well, that's that's nice to hear. To, I mean, and like when you, where'd you go?
1: I went to the London School of Economics.
0: You have a really terrible rap sheet. <laughs> Oxford and that. Uh, and what was the goal there?
1: I had like, I took some trip by myself to Berlin and had a layover in London for 36 hours and knew like, while I was still at the restaurant. And this is, I guess I'm realizing how much I operate by the seat of my pants in life. And <laughs> maybe I should think things
0: through better. I mean... They're working out. You can at least feel good about that.
1: Um, anyway, I had this layover, and I was like, oh, I'm meant to live here. So to be honest, the London School of Economics was because I just wanted to be in London. I know that feeling. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I, I'm supposed to be here. And then mm-hmm. um, I got in, and they gave me a lot of money, and I was like, great.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the London School of Economics is to do things based in economics, right? See,
1: that's what people think, but nobody ever I, says I the full name of the school. Oh, is actually London School of Economics and Political Science. Oh, okay. Um, and so their communications department is kind of out, out of that section.
0: Okay, um, so you did communications there. Yeah. With what was the like focus and what was the goal?
1: The focus was, God help me, I hope I figure out what I want to do next through school.
0: Okay, so it was still, but that's a classic grad school. I guess so. Like entrance thought for <laughs> yes. a lot of people. You know, you weren't alone in that. <laughs> Like, and wh- how long was the program? Two years?
1: It was uh full 365 days. So you work through the summer.
0: Okay. And that's it. And that was it. What were you doing there? Like, and how did that inform you? So
1: I was doing communications and, and just the minute I hit that school was the minute I knew that communications was it for me. It was like one of those things where like you keep trying to fit yourself into a puzzle piece and like, you know that you're the sky and you're a sky piece, but you keep trying to fit yourself into the wrong sky. And going to the school was like, I finally <laughs> found my side of the puzzle, like my sky piece.
0: What what was different about that feeling versus all Because the, the other things that you had been doing up until now... It wasn't as if you didn't find them fun or that you didn't enjoy them. What what was the marked difference?
1: It was that I felt like the skill set, whatever is inside of my brain made sense for the skill set and that I it jived. And then actually what really jived was... I got at it. I graduated, and the school hired me to do some videos for them, which was the dumbest thing ever because I had never picked up a camera. I mean, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, and but I had an advisor who liked me, and she got me hired, and like they didn't ask any questions. And like I borrowed a camera from the psych department, and then like the IT department let me use their computer, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I they gave me like this little computer space with a clock over the top, like you know just a, a wall clock. And there was a moment where I looked up and like. I don't know three hours had passed and I was like oh my god I had no idea that time was passing and I'd never had that feeling before where Mm. I was doing something and so invested in it and so lost in it that time like was in a warp and that's when I knew that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life.
0: Wow I mean yeah that that that's definitely the marked difference in the feeling did you when when it's like I'm going to do this for the rest of my life did you know exactly what road that was going to be? Because yeah. like when you said I want to do this for the rest of my life, what was necessarily speaking this? Like what 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 was the the thing in your mind that you were describing?
1: Multimedia storytelling. I, I just it, you know I was doing these like <laughs> little videos about the health departments, like you know this their research on um, like bird flu and, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. I just want to keep and And I, I think shaping the story and having all the pieces, the audio, the visual, the storytelling coming together. I mean, not to state the obvious, it just everything about it felt right. I, I mean, yeah. I imagine what it's, I hope what falling in love is like, like all the pieces just kind of come together and, and there's a comfort, but also a, like a, like a, it taps like all the passion. And Mm. um, I think it's also, I mean, I, I I think it has a lot of similarities to falling in love because I felt so myself. Like I could, I felt like everything I had to bring to the table was made sense for this particular Avenue. Um, And in, in the restaurant world, I never felt that way.
0: Yeah, you were good at it, but it didn't. It's. I mean, that's a reson. That's resonating in a, a way. Few things I think in life do. Yeah. And and so, what did you have an understanding of, like what the next? You realize you just fell in love with the craft, and it's like, well, how do I deal with that? Like, how do I do that? Did you have an idea?
1: I thought I wanted to do just straight journalism, so I. I came pretty close to getting a job at this american life or i thought i came pretty close um <laughs> i was told um was friends with somebody who i know and i was told that i was close but i didn't get it and um oh that was
0: confirmed you were close yeah i was
1: yeah okay at least that's why i took the feedback or or he was just being really nice um take it and well it was the credit crunch so the economy for journalism was not good when i graduated was this 2009 to 2010 yeah um i was looking for work in journalism which was a really bad time to be looking for work in journalism in especially anything. as a newbie in anything so i told i came back from london and i told my mom listen i just need two weeks on your sofa to you know sort this out and I'm gonna get a job and it took a year and four months um wow. of internships and
0: so i mean how are you managing mentally
1: oh it wasn't good
0: <laughs> Yeah, what were the challenges? There were
1: other life things going on at the same time, and I mean, it's still like when I have a bad day now, I'm I still look back on that time, and you know, like people, I had close family dying, died, and you know, broke up with a boyfriend, and it was just like every little thing that could. I had no job, I had no place to live, I had incredible debt. My one of my closest family members died, and um, I broke up with somebody, and it was it was a definite low.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds incredibly challenging, (laughs) and I mean, but you were also throughout all of those hardships in interning at places and
1: so yeah so i interned at um a think tank in dc and then interned at the aclu
0: and so you're at this like early 30s yeah i just turned 30 just turned 30 interning (laughs) yes how how are you dealing with that pride wise
1: oh it was also i had done so many internships i mean at this point in my life I've interned more than I had done anything else. Yeah, um, or work for free, or work for you
0: know. Yeah, but were they were these like free internships too?
1: Yeah, it was unpaid. So I'd worked the so I worked forty hours a week unpaid, and then I I worked at a cafe and tutored at night um, or in between.
0: And where where was this internship?
1: The internship was at the ACLU
0: downtown. Oh, okay. And I mean, when you were there, what what were you doing internship wise?
1: I was interned to the multimedia producer. And he actually taught me a lot about storytelling and scripting and but yeah. I, Did
0: you seek them out because of who they were and what and the work that they did?
1: Yeah, so this is what happened. I got the, you know, you get those, like, random mail, like, newsletters from your college about, like, oh, this event is happening or this thing is happening. I'm literally the worst alumna ever. Like, I never look at that stuff. And for some reason, I looked at this one email and it said that this person was speaking and all I saw was his title. And it said, um, multimedia producer at the ACLU. And I thought, I, I didn't really fully understand what the ACLU did, but I knew they did, try to do good in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. There's a job that combines, like, the craft with doing good in the world and i was like that's the job i want and it was again one of those moments like when i was looking over up at the clock when i was editing those like health videos and i was like that's it so i went to this event he was speaking at and i talked to him afterwards and i was like hey man like i i want your job not really i will not want to take it from you but i want this can i meet with you and he met with me and he's like yeah i don't know how i got this job like the pathway just seems to be getting harder and harder I have an internship position. I was like, "Oh my! For the love of God, like I can't." You're do another like in- Yeah, I can't do another internship. Um, but I was like, "All right, I guess I'll take it." So I took it. And um, what,
0: what was that assessment? Because I gotta believe that there was like p- pressure to to get a <laughs> real job.
1: I need a foot in the door, and I and getting a foot in the door at this point, I was like, "Any way, I need to get it." Um, you saw the value. I will get it. Yeah, and it worked. Like I, I got oh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got the, I got a foot or toe in.
0: And so when you first started, what kind of stuff were you doing while still interning? And like, how did that stuff make you... Obviously, it was affirming. <clears throat> you know, it didn't pu- push you away.
1: No, I mean, I, I, it was incredibly affirming. And he gave me a lot of rope to play with um and one of the first videos i edited and shot with him was for our client at the time just became our client Edie windsor um who would go on to have a supreme court case um around doma yeah preceding obergefell um one of the marriage uh, same-sex equality cases and the video did really well and i just remember you know feeling like oh i i might be able to do this like
0: what's this- the what was the what was the um how did you tabulate that did well um,
1: at the time, you know, it did well on YouTube because YouTube was still the, the main yeah. the main venue and people were talking about it and people kept referencing. And I was like, ha, I did that. That's mine. I, You know, as the like quiet intern in the back, I just secretly thought like, oh, my God, I did something. Yeah. Um, and I knew this is what I want. I mean, this was once I hit that place, I knew this is where I wanted to be. And, and I, you know, the internship ended and I um, they had an opening for like a clerical position um, and I took it because even though it wasn't exactly what. I wanted I
0: did it scare you that it was that versus being like in the department? No, I just had my
1: headset that I was going to make it into the thing I wanted it to be that if I proved myself and was I kept doing the videos on the side, even in that role. And, you know, for for them, for them. Yeah, like, you know, I'd help I'd help the then producer, you know, on the side or whenever I could, I'd pick up some of the editing when he had too much. And I just had like a I just knew that I was going to get back there. I just didn't know how.
0: How did how did you?
1: I really bugged. I wrote like daily memos to the (laughs) one of the heads of the department, and then um, that position was actually eliminated. Um, Which the multimedia position was eliminated, and they let the person I'd interned for go. But then they realized like that there was still a lot of need for that role. Yeah. Um. So they brought it back, and I had been bugging enough people so that they let me have
0: it. Wow. What if? I mean. You can't plan for that way to no. for something to happen. <laughs> I mean, when when that occurred, like what was that like for you?
1: Oh, best day of my life. I mean, there's no greater gift than getting to do what you realize you really want to do and couldn't figure out how to do it and then it happens.
0: Was there was I mean all of the weight of so much I mean, the internship, taking those multiple ones at thirty? And like, on top of everything else that you were going through, on top of the fact that you did grad school at 28, I mean, that must have been a crazy. That must have been crazy.
1: It was crazy. It was also like typical me. I don't know that the enjoyment was so much there as like, all right, I got what I want. Was there like, also like
0: a holy shit moment? It was like, so much I work?
1: I'd better make this the best. Like, I'm going to put my heart and soul and everything I've got in between mm. into this to make it so that whatever I've got to offer is going into this.
0: Was there a lot of like... I don't know if concern is the right thing but like uh, w- an anxiousness like oh my god I got it now I have to like well, also live the, up to it.
1: Yeah, the intern just got this job like everyone knew I was the intern. Like oh. people liked me and respected me but like
0: was there day. some internal like
1: Well, I don't even know if it, they felt it, but I felt like I had to prove myself yeah. and you know it, it wasn't like I had grown up training in this. Like my mom was a photographer and I'd grown up around photography and you know I I'd, I'd been her assistant since the day I was like since seven years old I was carrying her equipment and yeah you know we were um we were always shooting or mm-hmm. well, she was always shooting and I was kind of in the background but it, and and you know there were always she was painting before that and art and had to think about art and talk about art had been there but I had no formal training yeah I was really faking it
0: clearly faking it well enough I mean like faking it in what sense though
1: well faking it in that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like But you did. L- well I did, but I mean to be honest, like l- luckily I was in a place where not luckily. It worked out that I was in a place where it didn't where the the artistic merit I had a little room to breathe because at the end of the day, we're a legal a- advocacy organization. And, you know, if if I didn't get like perfect pinpoint focus on the interview subject, nobody really noticed. Like when I was screwing up left and right, but like people kind of let it slide because they just didn't.
0: Right. Like if you were in some creative agency. Yes. It would have been a different... Oh end of end of day the rubric was different yes because you were making videos for lawyers
1: yeah but then as a result i got to grow like i really got to self-educate and and develop in my own time while getting paid
0: that right on yeah how 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 long until you started to feel like you weren't faking it anymore
1: uh there was a shift like a year ago where only a year ago and i still i mean i i still to this day um there there are now there now i feel like i'm beginning to have like one or two pieces of work that i feel really proud of but up until then i there wasn't a single piece of work where i was like this is what i did mm. um there were moments where i was like oh that was a good
0: shot or what was the first one where you really felt that way
1: the piece i did about torture with with my colleague noah was the first one where i felt like oh this is This has some independent
0: merit. What do you think was different about it? What do you think allowed yourself to feel that way? You know, I think with
1: filmmaking, as anyone who does anything with filmmaking knows, um, there are so many pieces that go into it. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time where I felt like, all the pieces came together in a way that I was reasonably proud of. Like, the story came... To, we, we had incredible limitations on how we could shoot the story. Like, we only had access to the subject for two days. Yeah. And we could only shoot in a hotel room. And, you know, there were all these kind of things, the barriers. And I felt like within with, with those raw ingredients, like, the filming was halfway decent. And, you know, we used animation in an interesting way. And, the you know, just like all the components kind mm-hmm. of made sense and the ultimate goal is obviously like humanizing the the client and and I felt to the extent that we could
0: we did that yeah did having that experience then kind of like help inform uh, a more heightened understanding of, of the craft moving forward like did you feel like a, like a level up come from that in a way like moving moving did it change anything that you, in terms of your approach yeah it changed
1: further? my confidence that yeah exactly. um, I knew what we were looking for. Um, and, and I believed, well, just to have a vision of doing things a little bit differently. Um, you know, when I came in, we did these very like standard, like client sitting down client, you know, two minutes of B roll, you know, these like, which everyone was doing like more like TV packages, right. Um, like news packages. Yeah. You know, I think the, in the beginning, like there was a media storm and they were doing these like kind of more classic short docs. And like, that was kind of, the aesthetic and it's been changing. And, and I think I felt more confidence in um, breathing into those changes a little bit and, you know, getting the ACLU, you know, new stuff is uncomfortable and, and feeling okay about... Um, creatively, so, you mean? Yeah, creatively. Feeling more comfortable in proposing new stuff and, and being the authority on, well, for this thing, what's what makes sense, or mm-hmm. um, let's try this other thing. So in that respect... I think that there was a shift a year ago, but I still feel like I I'm still faking it a little bit.
0: I mean, fine. Like, okay. Um, so yeah, so that that creative shift and that creative confidence really only came like a year ago. Yeah. At what point were you starting to you know, reach out like reach out to vendors and be in a collaborative position where you know, I feel like you very much take on a um, creative director role and tapping into other production companies when did that start to happen and was that part of your creative push
1: yeah well i reached out to variable you know um was the first um production company we reached out to like before it was always the person in my role doing everything shooting editing every last bit and
0: that just has natural limitations
1: oh my god yes yeah um and and i think that investment first of all and we never spent money on videos like not real money right um and i made a push that we needed to invest in having a work product that was the next level up and so um, was there a lot of pushback on that oh my god it took six months of just constant meetings to get i feel like approval for that
0: yeah i feel like you i'm starting to understand how good you are at like the politics of getting of like convincing people of what you what you believe in the workplace
1: you know i think if you're not in production that kind of money seems ridiculous for a single video yes
0: um yeah
1: You know, and they give us a huge discount. Like, you know, we were not paying top dollar, even, but even the. Even what, the, what they could do to, like, not lose too much money. I think they even lost money on what they gave us. But, like, not to lose everything was so out of the scale of what we were used to. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I think internally they're still questioning about spending that much money. I don't think... It's not like it turned out really well and everyone's like, oh, good. Like, we spent that money and, and got yeah. this work product. Yeah. Like, um, even though it was a great product, I, there are still people who are like, oh, God. Like, that wasn't worth it or... Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, because I guess it becomes, like, you know, how do you quantify the value right from an ACLU organization perspective right exactly for what a video is achieving yes in 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 terms of i mean whatever however you want to quantify it right you and
1: know. changing hearts and minds is one way but that's really hard to quantify exactly um, especially
0: with the, the subject matter and mm-hmm. like w- traction and gains are right a moving target that's really hard to even see at times and even though it might be happening How are you going to know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's a moving target. And, you know, we, so anyway, that was, that was the first time that mm, there was a push to kind of raise the bar on how we tell stories.
0: Yeah. And when you went through that process, that was your first time in that position with like a vendor and having this creative directorial role. And how do you, what was that like?
1: I mean, uh, they were so collabor. It was very collaborative. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot. I mean, I think it was where I first understood, and I, I always understood this. I think so much of life is applying how we function to how we try and create environments for other people, which doesn't always work. Mm. Like, not everybody is you. Um, but <laughs> I find that in creative producing, it's the one time where applying how I work actually is helpful. Um, because Setting a tone setting a tone. And also um, for me, when I try and be creative, it's all about um, having space and having feeling like, all right, so you give me the puzzle, like it's, it's collage building. So you give me these puzzle pieces and you want me to figure out how to make something beautiful out of them. The best thing you can do for me is give me space, give me the parameters, and then give me total space to like have that creative connection. Yeah. And in... Hiring out or, or collaborating with people who specialize in whatever it is that they're doing. All I try and do is create the parameters, give all the pieces away, and then give space for that creative process to happen. Yeah. Um, and then protect. And I, I think part of creating that space is protecting the vendor from... So many other voices that are coming into play on our side. I don't know. It's just. It's just. I kind of actually see it in spatial terms, like, oh, you know, creating walls and a door, and then protecting from the elements. All the other things
0: that are going on. Yeah, and I mean, I can attest to this. I mean, I feel like I understand what you're saying, just in terms of the way that we went about. Because I'm, I'm planning on having this come out when, when, when the Know Your Rights campaign drops. And I mean, like, the experience of even putting that treatment together and building what was a very open idea the the receptive nature that w- w- you know I think is was a, you know for Justin and I was unparalleled really especially when you're talking about something particularly about the campaign which is you know very open ended dance idea where we're not talking about a script we're not talking about like an exact nature of things it, it was a moving target up until the final cut It's still like it it exists as a moving target. And I mean, you know, um, that could that could have there were so many pitfalls that we managed to dodge together. That was like crazy. And I, I think that it primarily comes from this thought process.
1: Well, we had an, uh, I was interviewing a lot of different companies. And when I got off the phone with you, I basically just wanted to cancel with everybody else. I didn't, I don't know that. Oh, I don't think I remembered that I'd already met you either. Um. Oh, yeah. On a shoot with Joey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think what I connected to was that you just got it in a way that I could, I knew I could just trust you. And you understood the, I think what I was reading was that You understood on a an emotional level, like the sensitivities of what we were doing, and and the project that we were doing. For me, what was one of the most important things, and I hope we succeeded, was that it couldn't be in our voice. Yeah. Um. You know, it's about you know mostly what to do when encountering the police when you are young and black. Yes. Um. And neither of us are are those things. No. Um. So, however, we framed it, I knew I wanted their voice to be the primary narrative structure like that their their voice their experience would form the visual and the audio and you know the couple ideas that you had thrown out just on this initial call I was like he gets it done um and no you know the other calls I had they were definitely more you know beautiful ideas Mm -hmm. but more about their vision and less about you know creating again creating space for the dancers to have a vision
0: yeah I guess that is true I mean it turns like it wasn't about yeah because it was about letting them kind of guide the whole process because they had to. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, we were, yeah, they had to.
1: It was like layers of people creating space for one another to have creative input.
0: Yes. Like, but actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny, because that that then... It was interesting, but I think that that the tone setting, and I think it's something that we talk about in all facets of filmmaking. Like you know, one bad attitude spreads a poison, and and but likewise, in, in the, on the flip side, you know, the, the, especially coming from the top, which in this case is you, setting that philosophy. It was fascinating to watch that take hold throughout every step, and like, you know, how cognizant of you are you of it? Um, like like how purposeful like are you aware of which piece you, of what you are allowing? Cause you know, I think that the freedom that Justin and I felt was really, you know, the thing that, that uh, like, it's essentially that's what, that's another word for it. Like space or whatever freedom, like that we were able to, you know, create um, ideas that or like change course and not be afraid. Cause I think that that happens a lot with client work is that like, you know, as, as the, the piece goes, you get an, a better understanding of it. And that might mean that you need to change an idea. And um, sometimes a client can feel can, can misinterpret that as like creative weakness when it's frankly a strength because you're actually uh, bending and not forcing through the initial idea versus what you're coming and creating. And like we always felt totally safe doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You, you don't have to deal with from our position so maybe you only just know how you do things and like it's not something you think about as much but i'm just saying like you know that that's something you're doing are you aware like how much do you think about that
1: i think about it more that that when i get to work with people who have the level of expertise that you guys have is that i get to be a student and i know that my job at the end of the day is to make sure that the aclu gets what it needs Mm. um but i'm so excited just to be able to have the opportunity to learn myself from um, your opinions and and what you're doing. Um, and that as long as I'm steering, you know, as long as I'm making sure that the ACLU piece is maintained. Right, yes. Um, you know, that we're still getting what we need out of it and that it still has, you know. it of doesn't. It, there are like red flags that only people who work at the ACLU would recognize as red oh, flags. Oh no, and, and every and,
0: time you would bring them up, I'd always be like, that's so interesting because like that's a, there's a legal aspect to it as well and it's like I would never think about... like it's like oh well that's a completely valid right but i think about it
1: is is i get to be a student and what fun is that um so
0: yeah but i think i guess that's having that mentality is the the key that it's it's
1: yeah sorry i interrupted you but i was also thinking like i also in i think a lot of times clients and i even hear um colleagues asking for things of you know when we hire out that I just know, like, oh, my God, if they ask for that, that's going to increase the budget by, like, $22,000, and then that's going to mean it's going to take two weeks longer. And I hear, like, the creatives trying to be like, oh, uh, well, I we could do that. But, like, I, I do this stuff when we don't hire out. So I know that when you yeah. make this demand or ask for that thing, that you, what that means. The
0: ramifications. Like, yeah, the
1: ramifications. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think also I my mom was – is a freelancer and Mm. has been, you know, for most of my life. And the one thing I won't give up on is like, I want respect for that time and for what you're doing. And, you know, I, I, I think not exploiting the creative, I think creatives get exploited a lot or people don't value why things cost what they do. Yeah. And so just being mindful and respectful of that piece too, is a piece of it.
0: Yeah. And uh, like, do you, um, find that you are in conversation with people that kind of are in your role in other organizations. Do you have like, are you actively seeking the ways in which other people are doing this?
1: I probably should. I have met with some people who do what I do, like at Human Rights Watch, um, but haven't gotten a good sense. You know, until you're actually working with somebody, you can't really be like, well, what's your workflow? I guess you could. I just never thought to ask it. Yeah. Um, like, Go how do get. you how do you hire out? But I don't really know anyone else you know, really know anyone else who does Mm -hmm. exactly what I do. I I think it's to be that I'm really lucky because I don't think that many nonprofits have my role. Right. And in that way, it's a little bit unique. Yeah. So no, I don't. I should be doing that research, though.
0: Uh, Well, planted a seed. (laughs) Now that obviously, you know, there's a newfound spotlight on the organization. Are you I don't know, it was everything that they do is always important. And all of these, legal rights are always you know it's not as if they became more important but there is like a heightened focus on like um i don't know you just feel the weight of it more have you experienced that and like what what are you it's a it's a unique position to to be making art with this kind of importance
1: i mean i think that i don't know if this is the healthiest but you know the day after the election i walked over the bridge on my way to work and i was crying the whole way like it just i don't i don't couldn't put my finger on exactly what was making me cry. I I think it just felt like, it felt like justice didn't win. Like, you know, you always hope since you were a kid that like, you always had this idea that like the right would like this, that, 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 you know, good over evil, like, you know, that, that it's going to end like the action adventure movies. And, um and it just felt like something had so been turned topsy turvy yeah and it was so upsetting, but I also felt like, and it was funny. I was early and, so many people were early to work that day. And, you know, it doesn't happen every day that, like, people come in a half hour, hour early, and everybody was early. I mean, it just seemed that way. Like, the office was pretty full. Yeah. I think that there was, like, a a pretty universal feel that there is, thank God that we have, like, how lucky to be able to play a role in in trying to make right whatever is about to come our way. Yeah. Um, At the same time, I think that personally, there was a feeling of like, I just want to martyr myself, like I don't want all other personal needs and desires to suddenly felt like they went away. And all I could think about was, I'm gonna make myself the healthiest, you know, I'm gonna eat better, I'm gonna exercise more, because I want to be a warrior in this, like, and I want to be a warrior here. And I realized, like, you know, I was putting in 80 hour days, oh, days, 80 hour weeks, and (laughs) Um,
0: it felt like 80, it
1: felt like 80 hour days and the feeling that like, I'm not going to do anyone any good if I am this tired and that this is going to be a marathon and not a race. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think probably all of us who, who feel upset, you know, and and concerned about what's to come, you know, just need to remind ourselves that if we spend that all now, we'll have nothing when this actually all really, really starts. Yeah.
0: It's a long marathon. It's
1: going to be a long marathon. And, um, you know it's it's really nice to be at a place that is addressing a lot of the things that that might come up,
0: yeah, I mean, even you know working on this project has been a source of pride for Justin and I like the um i mean yeah what to, I can't imagine I know how we felt I can't like to see your employer you know take out like a full page ad, you know we were here before your administration, we're gonna be here after it, like we're we're watching yeah, i mean that's that's really heady stuff, and it's cool to be at the uh part of it
1: it it is it is cool it's also like a a lot of pressure i hope we don't you know hope we rise to the occasion i'm sure i mean i obviously am not the one following the lawsuits and yeah um doing that work but i'm sure as heck happy to be a part of it
0: yeah and i mean it's kind of interesting knowing that the desire to get into this started with like journalism because it's it's fascinating that you know that wing or the department it is at the ACLU and it's not technically doing any of the actual legal work that the ACLU does, but yet like, where, where do you think, how, how are you defining the, the um, importance of your role now going into this new administration?
1: I mean, I think uh, in, in, for me, and part of being in the communications department, it's that you nothing is ever won in a legal battle alone. Nothing is ever won because a law passed. If there isn't, if the hearts and minds aren't on that page, nothing changes. I mean, I think maybe Roe v. Wade is an example of that. Like, yeah, the law was solidified in a Supreme Court decision, but oh my God, has it been an incredible... Uphill battle of, you know, statewide legislation um, that has made it almost impossible for you to actually exercise that right in a lot of places in this country. I think that as a long term strategy, creating points of connection to people and ideas that feel remote or um, unfamiliar or scary you know I think a lot of the changes over you know in civil rights and civil liberties you know at first seem really scary like all the, you know the things that people say are going to happen that usually never happen um, you know people are afraid of, of things changing and and the status quo changing and um, anything that communications and storytelling because I, I think everyone a lot of people in our business at least yeah. have agreed that storytelling is is an incredibly effective way to have people connect. Yeah. And at the end of the day, legal battles and legislation is going to do, is a huge piece, but then if people aren't communicating and connecting, yeah, it's going nowhere.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, you know, yeah, it'll be at least uh, nice that the energy or like the negative energy that you may be feeling can be focused on working towards dealing with it instead of just feeling it without an outlet.
1: Yes, yes,
0: indeed. Well, um, it's an honor to work for you guys. Thank
1: you, Jared. It was, it was, um, we're already talking about the next project, so. Yeah. I <laughs> can't wait.
0: Excited. Thanks for sitting down. Thank you.